Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and happy Monday, everyone. It's the hash on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us, you can't see us, but you can hear us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sinassi. On today's show, we got Will Foxley and David Morris. David, you're kicking Hello. us off with some macro news. Yeah. So welcome everybody. It is Monday and probably the biggest thing that everybody everywhere in markets should be paying attention to this week is the Fed is having an open markets committee and is expected to raise rates. Uh, and, and I strongly encourage everybody who's interested to read this piece by our colleague Amkar Godbol, who did a great rundown of all of the factors going into this meeting. Basically, we have an interesting situation where there have been some signs of cooling inflation, but there's still a lot of consensus that the Fed is going to do a 75 basis point or three quarter of a percentage point hike, which is quite a bit. And Omkar highlights uh, some interesting stuff about that sort of conflicting set of trends or indicators. And obviously, rising interest rates have implications for crypto, which is a speculative asset that could be hurt by rising rates on things like Federal Reserve notes. Lots to think about, lots of interesting signals. We could wind up a little bit under the projection. Most likely, we're going to get 75. David, for people who are just getting into crypto, maybe in the last year, they got mm -hmm. in via you know, NFTs or whatever, and they're just still kind of figuring out the markets, what should they be taking away from this? It's really simple and huge, which means that it, it's, it's easy to understand, but the implications are, are hard to totally suss out. But very high level, higher interest rates, which are being pulled up to fight inflation, do have broad negative implications for speculative stocks or assets of all kinds because the rate of return on low-risk assets goes up relative to the rate on higher-risk assets. And so people just pull money out of things like startup stocks or, or crypto and move some amount of it into Fed, treasuries, things like that. And so that has an impact. 
The other thing that I would note for people, and this is for experienced people as well, but in crypto, one thing that I've noticed over several years is whereas an equity market might be thinking ahead, perhaps people who are trading stocks kind of know the impact of these decisions ahead of time. And so they might already have priced in that change. In crypto, that doesn't always seem to happen. Sometimes we will get a big price change on the day of an announcement, even though that announcement was expected. So that's something else to keep in mind. Will? I'll go back to your original <laughs> question, though. You asked about inflation and, and how I see it. That's my favorite thing about being on the hash and being in Bitcoin in general is all of a sudden you become an inflation expert. And mm. The rest of these <laughs> schmucks at the Fed, they have to weigh, they have to go through tenure, you know, you have to be like an academic 40 years, then they get to have an opinion. We don't have to deal with that, right? We can just talk about it whenever we want. So here we are. It's a win-win. The power on this topic, we have. The power I know, we right? Have. It's pretty awesome, right? It's pretty awesome. 1.75%. <laughs> that's the federal funds rate as of right now. At the beginning of the year, it was much lower than that. I think it was around 0% to like 0.5%. And yeah. the Fed has increased interest rates the fastest it's done in history. So back to the 1980s is the last time we've kind of seen a similar timeline, but fastest in history that we've seen to date. And they're continuing with that trajectory, right? Another 0.75% increase or even a 1% increase that move us to like 2.5% or 2.75%. And that's moving up the cost of money, the cost to borrow money. And for entrepreneurs out there who want to borrow more money to get their projects up, it means that you have to price in the cost of that interest going forward. But for debt assets out there, that's even worse, right? Because all of a sudden, the cost of the debt, the cost of the borrowings that you've made in the past, those things have to change. And they've changed because the macro conditions have changed. And maybe you don't have that money to pay off that interest into the future. So you have to change everything about your own product. And that's where people get into this worry about recession, right? Because if I can't pay off my debt, then maybe my business collapses, or maybe I have to lay off that person, or maybe I can't make that new investment for my business to keep working. So the Fed is trying to walk this tightrope, right? Because you have to keep the economy rolling and moving but you also want to bring down the cost of goods. And there's this connection between the interest rate and the cost of goods within the minds of many economists. And that's what they're trying to do. I don't want to lay off that person, but I want to bring down the cost of that candy bar to like a normal level so I can mm -hmm. go into a store and buy it and not have to walk out without it. Jen, I'll throw it back to you for your take. Yeah, I guess a little tidbit I want to add in here. Although we have these macro conditions that we've been speaking about from a crypto perspective, we're still dealing with the, I guess you can call it downfall from the contagion we're seeing from Luna. There's also increased regulatory scrutiny, as we saw with the, I think it was nine cryptos outlined by the SEC in the Coinbase insider trading scheme. And so mm -hmm. I think while there are macro conditions, there are also conditions that are very specific to the industry that is affecting the price to keep in mind. But David, I will give it to you for last thoughts. The other thing that I think ties a lot of this together is that obviously the cost of capital is one factor here, but sort of a second order that Will, I think, got did a good job of, of laying out is the intent here, the specific reason they're doing this is to raise unemployment, which is, when you say it out loud, crazy, but that's just how this works. So the, the jobs that Will is talking about, the point is to put less money into people's hands to spend so that the inflation rate goes down. That will impact a lot of tech companies. We've already seen a lot of tech layoffs and hiring slowdowns. So that's also a factor for crypto, because obviously we rely on people having a little bit of extra income to engage in, you know, some speculative investing, or perhaps you would call it something else. 
And so there is a factor there, too, that impacts us. I believe Will has the next story. More cheery news for us today. Any mm. Twitter users out there, be wary. 9 to 5 reports that there are 5.4 million Twitter accounts for sale on a hacking forum for $30,000. What's in these, well, within these like records here, basically uh, the ability to tie pseudonymous or anonymous accounts to real physical identities by means phone numbers and by means of Twitter handles. So you're able to go through this data and see what people's phone numbers are, locate where they are, locate their personal information, and then tie it to their Twitter handles. And this also goes back as far as accounts that have been deactivated or deleted. Uh, for anyone who's used Twitter or is currently a user of Twitter, you know that the anonymous experience or the pseudonymous experience is a huge part, especially in Bitcoin Twitter. There's a lot of uh, infamous or famous accounts that uh, use that pseudonymous feature to speak their mind freely, uh, to really leverage Twitter as the microblogging platform that allows you to implement free speech. And something like this, this critical vulnerability that has been taken advantage of, can really put a wrench in that whole idea. Uh, I think we could see some fallout from this if this continues. If we see some big accounts become doxxed, we could see some people leaving Twitter, or we could at the very least see some lawsuits against Twitter. David, I want to throw this one to you, though, as someone who's really has your finger on the pulse of Bitcoin Twitter and Bitcoin sentiment in general. What's your takeaway from this report? Well, I have to be honest, I had not thought about that aspect of the risk of doxing for people, which does seem really real. The email phone number from a security perspective, there are probably things that you would, you know, be even more upset if, if a hacker got their hands on things like a social security number, things like that. But even that email phone number combo can really help tie things together and help hackers create profiles for people that they want to target. You know, on the sort of security level, especially if you're dealing with crypto, uh, just don't click on any links uh, is, is the ultimate takeaway here. Always and every time and every time nobody listens. So things will get gnarly <laughs> as a result of this. But I did also want to bring up a sort of a different angle on this whole story, which is this actually could be, unfortunately, another chapter in the Elon Musk Twitter saga on a couple of fronts. And one is that this is arguably material new information about their business that could help him even further put pressure on them to renegotiate his contractually bound acquisition agreement. His lawyers are already throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. So this could certainly be in the mix there. Another thing that I wanted to mention that is a little bit more impressionistic, but there are widespread reports of dissatisfaction at Twitter in terms of morale because of the Elon acquisition. This hack goes back to January, so it's not necessarily directly implicated. But things like the security team being in a good mood do have a serious impact on an ongoing basis on Twitter's viability as a company. And so you know, even if this isn't directly attributable to that, I think it is something to look at in terms of the ways that Elon could have, you know, destabilized the business for a little while here. Jed, do you get a lot of crypto Twitter hack attempt reply guys? I get them at least once a day and I always try to talk to them and they never speak back to me. It's just like my every day I get a message and I'm like, hey, I would love to participate and help you you know, get this money off the exchange. And then they never write back to me. But mm. what a case for Web3 social media. I mean, imagine a world where the masses are logging on to their social platforms using a wallet address and then 
you can determine what information you share or don't share. I just think we are consistently now getting stories that show people how much better things could be if we work towards an online life where we owned our data and we decided, you know, what we were going to share to access what platforms. I want to make it clear to people that, you know, while your phone number and email address maybe don't sound like that big of a deal, a lot of people have that information in their email signatures. This information can be cross-referenced with other data sets from other hacks on other platforms and really start to build a picture of, of who you are. It can include your address. It can include passwords, medical information. And so while it sounds like it's not a big deal, it really is. And lastly, Will, to your point um, about doxing anonymous and pseudonymous people, it's not only lawsuits against Twitter. If you are someone who's on crypto Twitter, who is giving advice that could be considered financial advice and you're doxed, the lawsuits could come for you depending on what jurisdiction you're in. So just don't click on anything. Will? Mm. Some good points there. You sound like uh, Naomi Brockwell. The Just last point I want to bring up. Naomi. Yeah, you Naomi. Gotta channel <laughs> deal. This reminds me of the story summer 2020 where we saw the teenager in Florida hack Twitter and he hacked everyone's account, even former President Obama's account, and was able to play a lot of games. He didn't earn a lot of money because at the end his scheme wasn't like that sophisticated. His way of getting into Twitter was very sophisticated, but his means of getting money for himself was not very sophisticated. Went around basically asking for for Bitcoin donations. But there's a lot more dangerous things out here if you do get that information, right? And David, to your, your point, it's interesting that these things seem to he- keep happening. I mean, every sort of Web2 project out there and even Web3 project is going to have its bad days, right? But for Twitter, these are some big ones and they have repercussions on individual users that you don't see on a lot of other sort of mm-hmm. social media platforms. But Jen, I will throw it to you for last story. Yeah, before I get into the last story, I couldn't believe that this data set's being sold for only $30,000. That sounded very I feel cheap like it's per I feel like anyone can download it, but it costs $30,000 oh, per person. Oh, that makes more sense. But I see. The story right. didn't say, so it's hard mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, we'll we'll find that out and get back to you, audience. All right. Last story. Aptos Labs raised $150 million in a round led by FTX Ventures to bring the DM blockchain back to life. Aptos Labs is made up of former Meta employees who want to create the, quote, safest and most production-ready blockchain in the world, unquote. So far, they have raised $350 million. Will, I was excited to talk about this story because we haven't really seen a big raise in a long time, and you're always coming down on the smaller ones. So $150 million feels like we're in the bear market again. coming down on the stupid ones. We can be a little nostalgic here. Yeah, it's true. You are coming down on the stupid ones. Uh, What do you think of bringing the DM blockchain back to life? I know when this news was announced months ago, we spoke about it, but we haven't spoke about it in a long time. And here we have ex-meta employees just keeping DM alive, kind of. Yeah, 150 million to keep the lights on. I wish Zach Seward was here. He's a longtime uh, fan of this storyline. He's really followed it since the early days in 2018, 2019, when where we saw Mark Zuckerberg going to Capitol Hill and getting grilled for trying to launch his own Zuckbucks. And now that's all completely failed. And we have these other entrepreneurs trying to resurrect the chain itself. And I think the reason behind this, and and most people are not aware, is that Facebook actually put a lot of time and energy into developing its own blockchain consensus mechanisms. And a lot of people think those things could actually work. There's a lot of design elements that went into this, a lot of consensus mechanism designs that went into the back end. 
They had a lot of people from the London School of Economics and other, other different universities building on the DM blockchain. And then all that got rug pulled when regulators said they didn't want to deal with it. And so I think that's why there's continued interest within this. And that falls on a line with Silvergate, right? They purchased a lot of this proprietary data from Facebook, from Meta a few months back. A lot of the stuff that DM built, but was never able to successfully launch. Uh, that's what I'm curious about this story itself. Does Aptos Labs have information from the stuff that was sold to Silvergate or... Uh, maybe they don't. Maybe they only have some components of it or whatever is public mm. knowledge. I think we'll need some more reporting to find out there. On the last bit, the raise, $150 million is a lot. But I don't know if we're really outside the realm of large raises quite yet. Like we talked mm-hmm. about the NFT raise that last week is like $15 million or $11 million or an NFT AI project. I think we'll see a few more. FTX is also trying to raise right now, apparently, at a similar valuation to their valuation in January. They're looking to raise uh, like seven figures, eight figures plus, so a decent amount of money. We'll see what happens with that. I think we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. I think there's more raises in the books. I think people are still closing a few, and then we'll definitely go into some bear market sadness and no more raises mm-hmm. stories. Jen, to you. I just have a question for both of you. Maybe, David, you could take it first. Do you think the fact that it's this new company, Aptos, is still using the DM name and still using the fact that they are ex-meta employees, do you think that that's maybe detrimental to the project moving forward? I think it depends on what you mean by detrimental. It's obviously helping them raise money, so you got to respect the grift. But as far as the actual utility of this thing and like the rationale for giving them $150 million, thanks, I hate it. Like The entire point of DM or Libra or Aptos or whatever they're calling it this week to try and get rid of the stink of Mark Zuckerberg was to have a global stable coin. And we now have that. You know, we have USDC, which is very workable, regulated, reliable. And so the question for me is, sure, you've got a lot of technology. What is your business model? What can DM do that anything that doesn't already exist can't do? Is it a smart contract platform? I doubt it. I don't know. But I mean, I've certainly never heard anything to that effect. Are you going to actually be able to do anything technologically interesting on this blockchain? Or is it just something grown in a lab that looks cool on a uh, VC cap table, you know? And $350 again, like, great to see some big numbers, I guess, but not like this. Not like this. I need, I need a hater's corner over here. This is the next thing we need we're, to do. After yeah, we need the, a wipe uh, for David. We'll make you a graphic. Like, yeah, hate, hater's yeah. corner. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing is just the fallout from what was initially a bad idea. And like the passage of time and moving it away from the center of the bad idea doesn't make it any better. It actually makes it worse because without Facebook, what is the value proposition here, right? Like the entire point was not only that it would be a stable coin, but it would plug into the Facebook ecosystem. I'm sorry, I'm going again. But like, I'm asking questions, I'm just asking questions, and there are no answers. Um, and just going to leave it at that. Will, maybe you have the answers. I'm sorry. No, David, I actually want to put in an op-ed request. I want to see a counterfactual where Facebook was able to launch Meta and you just say what was going to happen or what could have oh, happened. God. If Meta successfully launched DM, what would the counterfactual world look like? That would be a very interesting uh, op-ed. Read. I don't even want to think about it, but thanks. You know, David, when I read your op-eds, I can really hear your voice coming through. And it brings me so much joy, the more sarcastic and angry you get. So please, please do that. Just, if anything, for Mind and Will's entertainment. 
Maybe yes. maybe I can just post it into Slack. I'll just give you three paragraphs yeah. in Slack, and, and then we'll all be happy. All right. We'll good. leave it there. And if we get those paragraphs, maybe we'll share them with you on Twitter. But mm -hmm. that will, you know, David will have to give us permission for that. Thank you so much for watching The Hash today. It was a fun Monday show. Thank you for watching on Coindesk TV and for listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. If you like what you see, stick around. We got All About Bitcoin coming up at 3 p.m. Eastern with Christine Lee. I'm Jen Sanasi. That's Will Foxley over there. We got David Morris over there. We are The Hash and we will see you tomorrow. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply.